Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. to talk about this topic today, mainly because Jeff and I actually haven't really talked about this topic with each other, dating and love and relationships. I'm honestly pretty boring. Just uh, <laughs> absolute spoiler. I, I actually, I probably shouldn't put this at the start of the episode because everyone's just going to, oh, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. <laughs> but yeah, you've been warned. I have a pretty vanilla life when it comes to dating, I think. <laughs> no, but I feel like the the premise of just being Asian and navigating relationships and dating in itself is there's so much complexity mm, imbued in mm. that by virtue of the fact that we are Asian. And I think navigating the dating space as Asians comes mm. with many different problems, I would say, frankly, to push out of this episode, mm. um, as well as our interesting conversation. So we are excited to have a chat about this today. I guess my first question is, Jeff, can you tell me about your dating history or at least what you feel comfortable disclosing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sure. I I think I talked about in, my, in the very first episode that when I was very young, I was very overweight. And I was, as soon as you, as soon as those hormones start kicking in high school, early high school, you start thinking about the opposite gender a little bit more. And I was always in this frame of mind that I would just never be able to like kiss a girl. Cause like, who wants to, who wants to kiss a fat chubby kid? Actually, you know, scratch that. Maybe some people do and you know, no shame to your preferences. But like back then, that was the only thing that really singled out my idea of thinking in terms of relationships. Mm. So I think somehow the first relationship I was in, I think I was quite young. It was around year eight or nine. So I was like 14 or so. So it was pretty young. And obviously like my parents found out it was an absolute shit show. And then after a couple years of just like seeing each other, I don't even know if you can call that in high school, like seeing each other. Mm, mm. It's, it's kind of a, it's a weird, I feel like dating doesn't really count when you're in like early high school, mm. but then around 16, 17, I met my current partner, Zoe, and we've actually just been together ever since. So mm. it's, it's been <laughs> oh, about seven years, notwithstanding a short seven. break we had. Uh, but yeah, seven years at the start of next year. So it's, oh uh, my God. Wow. I would think it was like ballpark four or five years, but seven, that's insane. Congrats. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> Even when I say it out loud, it feels ridiculous because yeah. at this age, when you when people date for like two, three years, that's marriages around the corner. Mm. And mm. I guess, you know, that's this sort of area. A lot of people ask, I think. Um, and mm. it, that's a question that gets thrown around a lot. But yeah, no, it's happy with where we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a good ride. What about yourself? Um, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I am currently in a long-term relationship um, heading into four years, Shout uh, this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but prior to that, didn't really have any serious relationships, but I had a secret boyfriend in year 12. Um, mm. I dated him for six months. He was a Jew and it was like so interesting because I, okay, maybe, I don't know. I, I just feel like 
he was he lived in such a like a a closed community. Like he went to a Jewish school. Yeah. He only knew yep. Jewish people. Yeah. And suddenly there's this Asian girl he's dating, and I was like this shiny new toy. Um, and I remember feeling like, ooh, like wow, center of attention. Like everyone's so interested. Um, but that's also kind of fucked up, right? Like you know, what, I don't know. I, I felt like. To a, to a certain extent, it was exciting kind of being, like, this new thing on the block. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> why am I so othered? Like, I'm just a person who happens to be Asian. Yeah. But his mom definitely didn't like me because I was Asian. And you know how it is with a lot of yeah. traditional Jewish families. They want to keep it, you know, to keep the family Jewish. And yeah, it's, it's like Asians. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I completely understood that. Um, I mean, it's after the fact now. Like, Zoe and I dated in secret. Yeah. Or, like two, actually yeah, no, until, that's like, true. until like three years in. <laughs> you know how like Asians like no boyfriends or girlfriends until you hit high school. So we were like, yeah, I remember she came over one time in like year 12 and I literally pushed her out the window because my mom like came home unexpected. Oh I was God. like, get the fuck out. Like I would literally get circumcised. It's a terrifying experience yeah. to date in secret because number one, every everything just feels like, oh, I guess it, I guess it's nice in a sense when you're like younger, you want that like rebellion. But yeah. it's also like you, I fear the repercussions from like my parents finding out so much. It's just like, it's not even yeah. like the anger, not the shouting. It's literally just that disappointment that you like yeah. went against them. So yeah, we dated in secret and I remember like uh, we went to each other's formals and I think you'd show them the photos and I'm just like, this is a friend mm. who I've gone to formal with mm-hmm. three times. Three years, that's insane. I'm sure they were suspect. Yeah. I'm sure they were suspect. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. I, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. yeah. Secret dating is a thing. Yeah. And I feel like perhaps that's something that's so present in a lot of Asian kids or like Asian yeah. teenagers growing up. For sure. Because cause like, were you ever explicitly told that you couldn't date in high school or was it just like, no, no was. this is just the assumption. No, yeah, no, you was explicitly. Yeah. yeah. No, were you? Yeah. Same, same, same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, there was the There couldn't have been anything worse that could have done. And I don't know why to this day, it's probably just like the idea of a distraction. I think it was primarily that, it like, you should focus on yeah. your studies, you should focus yeah. on school, don't let a boy distract you, which mm-hmm. is, you know, fair enough. It is fair. Um, but to an extent, I also feel like, was there a double standard in that as well? Like, I can't help but think of, let's say, my male cousin, who, I mean, I mean he's at university now, but I remember when he was, like, going up through high school, the discourse around his dating mm. experiences, or at least, like, him speaking to girls wasn't as strict as it was imposed on me. Like, Mm. I feel like there wasn't as much, oh, don't date anyone in high school for him as much as it was said for me, if that makes sense. Mm. What I'm curious about, though, Jeff, you know, obviously your relationship with Zoe has gone on for so long, clearly because you guys are compatible and you you have a really great relationship. But I wonder if you think her being Chinese, ethnically the same as you, has helped to kind of foster that really strong relationship. Oh, 100%, 100%. I think with friendship groups, I was mostly around uh, Western people and white people. But when it came to dating, that crossover never really existed because in my mind, I'd already set myself several limitations that came as a result of whether it was brainwashing. Not brainwashing is an incredibly heavy word, but it was almost like that. It was like repetition of only date 
Asian people. Mm. And that sort of distilled itself into a combination of that being told to me constantly and also my idea of how race relates to beauty really set a lot of limitations for me. And I think because of that, I didn't really venture outside of Asian people in terms of Mm. uh, pursuing a dating, like in a dating relationship. So being with Zoe was incredibly easy. Meeting the parents, they can speak Chinese. They understand the cultures. They understand the different holidays. They understand customs. You don't have to tell them to take their shoes off when they come in the house. You know, (laughs) when they sit down to eat, they don't eat first, like all these small things but that matter so much in terms of building rapport between your partner and your family Mm -hmm. made it incredibly seamless and i think that really does drive relationships particularly for people who have children of immigrants because it just makes it so much easier for them to integrate into your life Uh, especially if you are someone who's grown up really absorbed in and immersed in the culture of your parents Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I kind of want to go back to what you mentioned before about having these limitations imposed on you. Was this something that you internalized through experiences that you've had with other women? Or was this something that you saw in society? You know, this perception that Asian men don't really date Western women, for example, Mm. which we'll discuss later. But I wonder whether this was a product of I guess, societal pressures, which are clearly false, or whether this was something that was brought out from your own experiences. I think it's slightly unfair to just blame societal expectations completely. Number one, it was limitations placed upon myself. I think when you grow up looking at Western media, there's just everyone on the screen is quite beautiful and they're all white and it's hard it's, you never really see an Asian man and like a white woman on screen together. The only thing I can think about, which was like earth shattering, was Walking Dead. Glenn yeah. making love with a white woman on screen. That was, <laughs> that was groundbreaking stuff. And obviously prior to that, I did not ever see any of that sort of stuff. So it was these limitations that like, I don't think they'd want me. I compare myself to my peers. They're white, they're tall. They have nice hair, doesn't just fall straight like a little fringe. And a combination of these things just, it makes your circle smaller in terms of what you think uh, is within your, I guess, dating range, if if I can say that. And then that in turn translates to your confidence. You're not Mm. confident. You don't think you can, uh, you know, date someone who may be more attractive to you. And that translates. Mm. It translates. It, It translates into how you hold yourself, how you hold the conversation, makes you mm. nervous. And I think this two-way relationship really does just feed into, yeah, it just did feel, feed into like the idea that I couldn't date anyone outside my race. So I mentioned before that Zoe and I went on a bit of a break and I won't go into the details, but essentially I went overseas and I went around Europe and I did a bunch of other stuff. And I did end up, I guess, hooking up with some white people. And in a way that did things for my confidence, which is, Mm. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it felt like I'd conquered some sort of hurdle, Mm -hmm. like a personal hurdle that I'd set these barriers on myself. Obviously now I I look back on it and I I feel like that was such a silly thing for me to feel like this, like breaking out of a shell that I'd set for myself. When I think from like a young age, people should just be taught that it's, 
attraction is based on looks initially, whether we like it or not. But I, I want my, my goal is that people out there would just be like open to dating around dating with people who don't look like them from different cultures. There's this acceptance of others and not just creating these limitations and preconceived notions of what people are based on how they look and the cultures that they align to. And yeah, that was a long winded way of me saying, yes, I had limitations. Yes, they did break for somehow, but to me, now that I look back, I think having limitations was just stupid in the first place. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like that, like you shouldn't undermine yourself in those feelings because I think that's rooted in something that actually is a societal problem. Um, that being that collectively how Asians are viewed, right, in society is this collective of, like, frankly, small, meek and effeminate people. And I guess within that, how Asian men and women are perceived are, frankly, quite diverse. I was doing some preparation for this episode and I was keen on seeing what kind of research there had been on this idea of, you know, Asian men, racial kind of preferences in the dating arena. And frankly, sociological studies have shown that Asian men tend to, I quote, live at the bottom of the dating totem pole. And mm. I think that this is like, you know, how you felt and these limitations that you imposed upon you isn't uh, something that's singular to you. I think a lot of Asian men do feel mm. that they un- they're undesired and then they're unattractive and therefore they're only limited dating certain women, which obviously is so false and really messed up. But I think that's rooted in a lot of social, cultural and political factors. Mm. You know, we hark on a lot about representation on as I am, but I think it really does matter. And I think, firstly, the lack of, I guess, sexualization of Asian men, right? Like we've talked about a lot about how Asian men are confined to this dichotomy of geeks or like mm. kung fu masters. Mm. And, and there's no kind of nuance in between. Like you never have an attractive Asian protagonist, which is why something like Crazy Rich Asians are so significant. Secondly, I think it's a historical thing too. You know, I think for centuries, you've always had these unequal status relations between Western Mm. and Asian countries. So I think Asians and by extension, Asian men are always seen as somewhat inferior to the, I guess, the normative of masculinity. And this whole, I I guess, other conversation on toxic Mm. masculinity we need to have. So I think that there's a reason why, you know, some studies have found that Asian men are twice as likely um, as Asian women to be unpartnered, you know, and I, I think the limitations that you've spoken about are very valid. And I don't think you should be too harsh on yourself in kind mm. of feeling like that was something that you imposed upon yourself because of your own limitations. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, th- it- I think it's also a combination of just that very important like pivotal moment of your life where you're sort of working yourself out it's puberty you don't know who you are you're trying you're some like scrawny 19 20 year old trying to work out your place in the world and with that you're also exploring the idea of power dynamics like your relationship others around you and it it takes some time to work out but i think as you come into your own a little bit you start to accept yourself for who you are you feel a bit more confident and comfortable in your own skin. And it becomes just like, a, well, if they don't want me, then fuck them. You know, it's, mm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's their loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a journey that a lot of people go on. But yeah, keen to delve into that a bit more. What did you feel like uh, in terms of when you chose a dating partner? Was there something you looked for in particular? Did your parents enforce on you that you should only date Vietnamese men? Mm. 
No, it's, it's quite interesting because I myself am victim to these societal, I guess, expectations. Oh, expectations, that's the wrong word. I guess the societal perceptions of Western men and kind of ideals of like a dating partner. Mm. To be frank, I growing up, I was always attracted to white guys. Mm. I think that was very much the product of like representation and the kinds of mediums that I consumed um, growing up. Rather shamefully, I remember rejecting the idea of even liking an Asian guy. I remember there was this Asian guy um, in one of my tutoring classes who I thought was really cute. But I remember being like, oh, but like, I don't find Asian guys cute. Like, this is really weird. And like, mm. like looking back, like that's so messed up. But I think it was really ingrained in me that Asian men weren't attractive and Asian guys weren't attractive and I shouldn't be having crushes on them and, and I guess pursuing that. Mm. Um, so that's something I look back on now with a lot of shame and I think that was just a lot of internalized racism. But I guess, you know, going back also to my family and the expectations they had, and I remember like telling them that like, oh, you know, but I like white guys, like, you know, I like like, you know, European features and they're all so tall and like they're blue eyes, blonde hair, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And my parents were always like, nah, Asian men only, Vietnamese men only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like I was a teenager, so I don't think they ever took what I said seriously about liking yeah. white guys. The older I've gotten, though, the more I've come to really understand their point of view in so far as dating your own kind, if I can say that is so much easier than dating it's so much easier the it's other so i guess because yeah. i remember being with people who weren't asian and it was difficult I'm, oh, it wasn't difficult but there's like another element of translation like you said yep. before jeff about taking off your shoes before you enter someone's house and using chopsticks like these are things you have to explain to someone which you take for granted and it's like yep. quite yeah Weird to explain as well because it feels it, it out loud is weird. Yeah, there's so much yeah. nuance to it. It's not just a simple explanation. So yeah, I, I feel like having those experiences of dating non-Asians reinforce my desire to date Asians. I guess the one I've gotten like it's a weird paradox. I think. And currently, uh, I'm dating a half Asian, mm. which has been interesting and. My parents have definitely warmed up to the idea of me not dating a Vietnamese man. I think they're happy that he's Asian <laughs> in some respect and that he can understand certain things about, you know, why we do certain things in Vietnamese culture and Asian yep. culture more broadly. That being said, I do think there is still difficulty in, let's say, communication. My parents, yes, they can speak English, but the conversations that my partner has with my parents are never on the same kind of yep. comfortable level that I yep. have with my partner's parents, for example, purely because I think the language barrier doesn't, it, it's hard to overcome that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which has been interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because in that case, it's harder for them to build rapport. And obviously yeah. you want your parents to like yeah, your partners. I mean, exactly. I see it with like when my white friends come over, but they'll say something and my parents will just stand there and just nod and smile. Oh my god, legit. And that is that is just the limitation of like that is the extent to which the conversation can go. Yeah. And I always yeah. find myself thinking, 
man, if I brought home a white girl, like, what would we talk about? Yeah. Like, you sit down at dinner table. Again, my parents can speak English, but I feel like in Australia, there's a lot of nuance to the language. There's a lot of slang yeah. that comes out. And so you'd be sitting at the dinner table and, like, what would you talk about? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is <laughs> yeah. difficult. It is yeah. so difficult. Yeah. And these thoughts just, like, come to my mind a lot. But then now it's just if I leave the room and, like, Zoe's there with my parents – I can trust that they can communicate mm. and it's not going to be an awkward scenario that mm. neither party wants to be in. Mm. Like that security is, it sucks, but it, it's, it's, it's good. It's nice. Yeah. You know, it's nice yeah. to have. For sure. For sure. I think that's something that I, like it's been difficult for me to reconcile with. Like mm. I want my partner, like I, I want the, the people who are most important in my life to be able to have, close or a good relationship at least and you know my parents and my partner do have that but I don't feel Mm. like it's possible to foster that intimacy which Mm. I think is something that I I, like I'm sad about I guess like it's hard right because I know exactly what you mean yeah. yeah because like how do you overcome such linguistic and cultural obstacles like it's Mm. it's not as if my partner can understand the nuances of vietnamese language like you can't pick that up overnight yeah and likewise my parents like yes they've been living in australia for so long now but they don't really understand slang either Mm. so yeah I, i think like what's been difficult is having to kind of reconcile these two different parts of my life like the very vietnamese fully authentically Asian, I guess, part of me versus the westernized growing up version of me. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about because for us, there's almost another layer to the decision when you think about it. I guess like if you're a Western person dating a Western person, the only really thing you need to focus on is, yes, it's important for them, for my parents to like them, but at least that relationship can be fostered easily. Yeah. I just need to like this person and they just need to like me and we can develop a relationship that way. But for us, we feel obliged to our parents and our culture that there is this mutual connecting ground because in a way, our decision really affects how our culture gets passed down. Whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, that that is a fact. If you date outside your race, the likelihood of your culture continuing lose, it loses ground. Oh, completely. And yeah. I need to look at my own family to see this. So I've got quite a big family. My father has nine other siblings. Wow. And yeah, crazy big family. But um, the I guess like the, all but his sisters, except one, all of his sisters married Western men, and all You're right. the yeah, and all of the Asian men married Vietnamese women. Yeah. But the like the half of my family who married Western men, like they've got children now. And they've, like, married other Westerners. So I've got cousins now and, like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what the relationship is now because I feel yeah. like it's so far in me, like, <laughs> yeah. like, second cousins, I don't know, who are so white and, <laughs> I, like, they don't even look, like, I just can't even tell. Like, yeah. I couldn't even recognise them if it wasn't for the fact that, like, oh, I've seen them tagged on Facebook and I've met them before. Like, yeah. if I just saw them on the street, I'd be, I, I wouldn't even, like, take a second look because... Yeah. They'd just be another white person. Yeah. Um, but they're actually like, a th- you know, a quarter Vietnamese or... Yeah, I mean, but I guess that's like my point I'm making, right? Like it's it's so... It can happen so quickly. Like 
I guess the culture diluting and the culture being lost can happen so quickly. Mm. Purely by the fact that you've married someone who, or you've had children with someone who's not from your own race or ethnicity. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to say that that's a good thing, but at the same time. Oh, no, I know, I know what you mean. Whether it's a bad or a good thing, it's still a decision that we're conscious of. And it's a decision that has been hammered into us from the constant loitering of our parents and invasion of our lives, which they probably do out of love. Yeah. Presumably that you should date within your race. Mm -hmm. I think number one, there's a couple of things that they're afraid of. They're afraid of, you know, the culture diluting, the culture disappearing. And two, they're probably in a way afraid of losing you. Yes, because that's a big one. You, that's a big when one. You're, when you're in a relationship, you absorb a lot of your partner and there's only so much room inside of you that you'll probably have to give up something. And they're probably in a way quite afraid of that as well because that may reduce and weaken their relationship to you. And yeah, that is that is something we have to, that we have to be conscious about. Also, just to tack on that thought, if you think also about the kind of values that are within Western and Eastern culture, it's so fundamentally different. You know, like for example, this old idea of filial piety, right? Like it's not mm. uncommon for your grandparents to be living in the same fa- like say the same household as you. You know, you mm. have three generations in a household, grandparents, the parents, and the children. Whereas I would arguably say that it's very common in Western households to yep. have grandparents living in nursing homes. And that's yep. something that is almost seen as a form of disrespect, I think, in a lot of Asian households. Correct. So I completely understand and I think you're completely spot on in terms of this idea of losing the, the child um, mm. to this, I you know, I guess to the Western value of how, let's say, family is perceived. Mm. Which is a very valid point and I completely understand why parents would hark on that. At the same time, though, I think it would be wrong to not realize the value in I guess a multicultural society. I don't want to say yep. that tokenistically. I think there is yep. a lot of value to be had. And it, it's so it's quite rich to be able to be able to meet so many different people from so many different cultures and walks of life. Yep. And I think there's something quite beautiful about cultures immersing together and intertwining together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like so many beautiful things come out of cultures mixing. Absolutely. And there's like a combination. You as an individual are, if you are of mixed race, there is a lot of different ideas that you have been passed down to you. Your your view of the world is a lot different from everyone else. You're fortunate enough to come from two different cultures. And I guess when you also think about um, when you see someone who's mixed race, their parents are kind of like the, the renegades. They've mm. kind of broken away from tradition a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think it does add a lot to the environment that you're in uh, to be mixed race because you bring, you bring a different perspective. And obviously there is the other side of it which we will explore in a future episode around mixed race identity not feeling like you belong in either side Mm. but i do think yeah there is a certain richness that combining two cultures can bring uh, to someone's life and their view of the world so there's definitely it's i don't want to say it's any relationship whether mixed race or both asian is better than the other Mm, because i think there's there's obviously benefits to both but i guess from telling our perspectives this is just how we've experienced it. Okay, so yellow fever is a topic that Jeff and I want to talk about. At the same time, it is a really saturated topic. 
So don't want to delve too much into, I guess, you know, what the definition is and mm. all that kind of stuff. I want to stop using this term. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, do, I don't, it feels bad to use the term. It feels like a term used out of hate and potentially jealousy in a lot of ways. And I don't want to diminish any of the relationships that a lot of my friends have who are white, um, male and Asian female. But yeah. It is a, yeah, you can continue. This is a very, this is, this is a very interesting topic. No, but look, I, I completely understand the idea of, you know, obviously there are so many beautiful relationships out there where it is comprised of, you know, say an, an Asian and a white person. Mm. That being said, though, I do remember, you know, going on dates and going out with men, white men, as you say. And I'm genuinely skeptical. Like I, like half the time, I don't know whether <laughs> they like me because of me or because they like the fact that I'm Asian. Like that is a genuine fear. And a hundred percent, I navigated the dating scene as yep. men being guilty until proven innocent. And I think that is really the product of so many interactions I've had where race has been a huge part of it. Mm. Like I remember this one guy. <laughs> The worst pickup line, he went up to oh, me no. and he was like, oh, you know, I don't know if you realize this. How could, he, I, how could I, by the way? I didn't know this guy, but he was like, you know, all my past girlfriends have been Asian. You could be the next one. I'm like, what? like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you expect from that? What does what he expect out of that? Like, oh, shit, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's, Anecdotes like that where I think I've built up this perception where, yeah, it's guilty onto proven innocent, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean. And I guess, like, when we talk about yellow fever, it's always a white male and a yellow female. Yeah. It is never the Yellow opposite. female. <laughs> what did I say? Yellow, yellow <laughs> fever, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if there's any deeper meaning to that slip up, but... Yeah. No, it is never a... Uh, Asian male and a white female and that shouldn't be the case like when you see an Asian male with a white female you know what my first thought is (laughs) number one I'm shocked and number two I'm just like nice Mm. you know good job Mm. Mm. like respect but it shouldn't be like that it really shouldn't be like that and I, I think it's because we have these concrete definitions of power dynamics especially when it comes to dating it's mm. we see a white male and asian woman yeah that's fine that's normal but like when it's the opposite it's like this you've seen a weird anomaly that shouldn't occur in society yeah. and i think that's super fucked up and hopefully you know that that idea changes and have no solutions to that but yeah can you hear your thoughts yeah, I mean, I think this ties back to our previous discussion before on, I guess, masculinity and how Asian men have historically been perceived. I do think that society is heading towards, you know, a positive trajectory where relationships like these aren't an anomaly and it's not considered as weird. Mm. At the same time, though, I, like, I completely relate, Jeff. Like, my knee-jerk reaction to seeing an Asian guy with a white woman is like, what, like, Mm. what you know which is really like i mean i think that just speaks that speaks to like how ingrained this is and how deeply deeply long it is asian women and white men i think is a dynamic you see a lot in Mm. a lot of asian countries i would say i don't know if this we should talk about this as well jeff like white fever um the idea of like asian women Mm. 
I guess, seeking out white men. Yeah. Primarily yeah. for the socioeconomic status, and I guess yeah, rising it's alpha to male. that. The alpha yeah. male. Yeah. yeah. I think the idea of the alpha male has been instilled in us across all forms of media. What do you picture when I say the term alpha male? What does he look like? Yeah, he's not Asian. Which is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's never Asian. Like, which, what does he look like? Uh, what does he look like? No, describe shapely. it. Features, hair. <laughs> what, does he, what does he look like? This is a problem. No, but yeah, that shouldn't be a problem because I have the same image. Whatever image is just conjured in your mind is probably very similar to mine. I'm thinking about, you know, Ryan Gosling in that yeah. scene where he's like got his shirt off. Mm. The man's a weapon. He's so attractive. I would turn for him. These things just feed into your perception of where you stand on the dating hierarchy because mm. I I truly believe that there is there is a lot of errors to what Freud said, but I, I truly believe that so much of what we do is driven by core needs of eating and love and shelter and reproduction. Yeah. It is a product of evolution that we are attracted to people who we think have a strong seed essentially you want yeah. you want to partner with someone who can pass on great genetics to the next generation you know there's been a lot of research done into how attraction works and obviously a lot of it is you know physical attraction and we'd love to think that it on a many levels it's intelligence and emotional attraction but a lot of it is rooted in this like evolutionary need to reproduce and copulate with a fine specimen like mm. someone who has good genetics uh, that's why you think about like great features being tall, being strong in women. A lot of it is white hips. You know, it's the idea that like they can birth children. That's why younger people are more attractive. These sort of like basic primal needs do, I feel in many ways, influence who we're attracted to. And then all of this gets circumvented and popped on social media and just get shoved in our faces because everywhere you look just specimens everywhere yeah you look at you know very attractive females on instagram you look at who they're dating it is not going to be some asian dude let's let's it's going to be this like jacked white guy and i'm not saying this from like a perspective of hate i'm, I'm just saying the this is how our decisions and a lot of our preferences get informed you know, you were attracted to people who have this social standing and that is that is something that's just been instilled to us from birth. I feel, not birth, but like from a very young age, as soon as we started like viewing a lot of media. Yeah, 100%. And but look, I, I feel like that really is rooted down though in beauty standards, you know, and what we perceive as attractive and desirable. And mm. to be frank, what we ascribe to as beauty is heavily racialized. You yeah. think of beauty standards and the first thing you think to mind well, it comes to my mind at least, are Eurocentric and white standards of beauty. And this manifests in so many different ways. Like, And what you've said completely nails that on the spot. For example, you see a lot of like Asian women undertaking cosmetic surgery for double eyelids mm. or to get a higher nose, like, mm. like, you know, Eurocentric features. And I think how we perceive, let's say this alpha male, like this ideal of like, oh, you know, the, the prime specimen for us mm. to carry on our genes is informed by what we think of as attractive, which has been socialized as Eurocentric standards, which mm. is obviously mm. really problematic because, you know, like, that, that, I mean, it's it goes without saying, like, Eurocentric features aren't the be or end of beauty standards. And in fact, if anything, 
people of color are often exoticized and fetishized for certain features. You mm. think of black people and you think of how often, you know, features like big, big lips and a big butt. And I guess like, you know, curly hair as well. That's something that is commodified in a way that mm. is at the detriment of the black community. Likewise for Asian women and Asian men. Like I feel like, you know, our bodies become sites where people just take what they think is desirable for a certain trend, like the fox eye trend. You know, mm, this, this, there was this trend on TikTok where people were slanting their eyes because it was cool. That was something that a lot of Asians have been mocked about. That? You know, Who started that. Jesus. Yeah. So I, I think it's so problematic when you have this standard of Eurocentric ideals, but you pick and take what features you think are attractive or trendy from other mm. cultures and other people. Yeah. And you set I hate the new that. standard. I hate that. You set the new standard. Yeah. yeah. They have the power. They have the yeah. power. Yeah. I guess the question being, like, how do we move on from this? You know, like, mm. what is the solution towards dismantling all of these ideals and standards, which are, you know, obviously so, I guess, so ingrained within our minds and, I guess, how we've been brought up. Like, even your little experience before about, you know, what we think of when we think of as the alpha male. Like, first thing that came to mind was a white guy. And, like, why did I think that? Mm. And, you know, both you and I are still unpacking, if I can say that, about you know, internalized racism and all these different things that we talk about as I am. But how do we actively make sure that we do this day to day and week to week and we continue to sustain this? I think it's really important to always keep in mind and be critical of what you consume, how you consume, and I guess by translation, you know, when you date, right, and next time you swipe on Tinder, like, think about all the different nuances and expectations and, I guess, standards of what is an attractive person and what makes them attractive. I think it's super hard to remove your biases. Yeah. And it's, it's easy for us to talk about it because we're like, you should do this. And, yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you should remove all your biases and date Asian people. Like, that's <laughs> very easy for us to say, but to actually put that into action can definitely empathize how difficult that is. Mm. And we are not advocating for you to just date outside of your race just for the sake of dating outside of your race. I think there should just be a bit more of a conscious effort put into maybe this person is just more than what my impression of them is from mm -hmm. this very brief interaction. Whether it is Tinder, whether it is a, a small conversation, there's everyone's incredibly nuanced and everyone's got a lot of unique character that they can bring. I think in an age where instant gratification drives so much of our behaviors, I think we just need to step back and take a bit of time and assess the situation a bit more because someone that you see from across the room, they may not catch your eye immediately, but they could be the one for you. Oh, I love that. I know, how cheesy was that? <laughs> <laughs> this has been so enlightening, Jeff. Oh my goodness. Um, Ditto. Yeah, I am so keen to hear from you guys. So if you have any anecdotes or would like to share any experiences you have, we'd love for you guys to reach out. Um, so feel free to. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. If you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by clicking the subscribe or follow button. We'd really appreciate that and it'd be a huge help. Otherwise, we'll catch you guys on the next one. See you later. Bye.